Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Hope you're doing well wherever you're listening at. I've been watching a ton of college baseball lately since it's the College World Series, and I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, I don't know if there's a more underrated sport in postseason than college baseball because you know the March Madness gets a, gets a ton of hype, and you know even like bowl games and things like that, but. Even if you don't even love baseball that much, I mean, it's impossible not to be in love with postseason college baseball. It's so much fun to watch. Just the regionals, super regionals, and now the College World Series. It's, man, it just, you can't beat it. Shout out to former guest on this podcast, um, Cade Beloso. We had Cade on this this year, actually. And um, he's he starts for LSU. He's their DH um, but has been batting a fifth in their lineup, so I believe fifth, fifth or sixth, fifth, yeah, it's fifth. So shout out to Cade, been rooting for him, and and hopefully he does well the rest of the tournament too. Um, you know, speaking of college baseball, the transfer portal has been insane lately. There's over 2,200 players in the transfer portal, and you know, I've learned a ton about the transfer portal process because I've been helping a lot of players. I've already helped over 10 players get placed from the portal. Um, you know, from Power 5 players all the way down to Division 2 players. So um, a little wide range. So if you're someone who is needs a place to play next year, which is 20% of anyone involved in college baseball, any college baseball players, um, please reach out to me because I, I am working with players right now and helping them find a place to play uh, next season. So if you email me, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com, I don't take everybody because uh, I can't help everybody, just depending on expectations and, and metrics and things like that. But um, if we are a good fit, um, I can definitely try to help you out if I can. So jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com if you're in the transfer portal and you need a place to play next year. In today's episode, we have a very special guest. We have Brian Kane. Brian Kane is, is someone I've been following on online for years now, and it's the first time we've ever connected or, or talked. Man, is he good. He is He's very good. I mean, he studied under one of the, the legends, Ken Revisa, way back in the day, over 20 years ago. And I just love how how simple and applicable some of his methods are in helping players out with with the mental side of the game. So Brian, I would say his niche, Brian's niche, I would say, is baseball, but he also works with other sports as well. I mean, he's worked with UFC fighters. He's worked with Olympians. I mean, just every sport he's worked with. And so he has a, a ton of experience. And uh, man, I just I, I can't thank him enough for coming on and sharing some of his wisdom. I've already taken some of the stuff that he said in this episode when we recorded it, and I've been helping the, the players that that I'm working with right now. So um, if you're a coach, player, parent, you're going to want to listen in. You're going to want to be locked in for this episode because Brian gives some great bullet points on how to take your game to the next level in a simple, practical way. Here we go. Brian Kane. This is the future. This is my time. I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line. I'm holding my friend. All right. We now welcome on to the podcast, Brian Kane. Brian, thanks for coming on today. Jonesy, thanks for having me, brother man. Fired up to get after it. So I've been I've been following you for for a while now. I've had some some players even that I've that I've helped out and worked with who've worked with you too, and and a uh, big fan. As I was saying before we started recording, I was checking out uh, your podcast earlier today, and 
and I was listening to the one you did on on John D. Rockefeller, and and you talked about how how even during chaos like, he was able to stay calm, and it it resonated with me because uh, you know as a coach and and working with players and having been a former player myself. It feels like there's always a lot of chaos going around, right? Whether you're 0 for 4 and you're worried about maybe getting released or not getting the scholarship. And so like being able to remain calm, even when there's things going on around you that you, you can't always control and it may seem like everything's out of control is is huge. What what are some of the things that that you've seen baseball players do to help them remain calm when it feels like there's chaos going on? Yeah, if I had to simplify it in one word, I'd say breathe. And, you know, how do you slow yourself down and not to get too into the science, but how do you oxygenate your brain and get yourself present where your feet are when chaos is happening around you? How do you technically bring calm to chaos? You breathe, you get present, you focus in on what's important now. Kirby Smart, football coach at the University of Georgia, just won back-to-back national championships. They have a sign that kind of like Notre Dame football, play like a champion today, that you see walking out of their facility to the field for practice. And it says, W-I-N, what's important now? And too many times I see players trying to to win a game, win an at-bat, win a starting job instead of just trying to win a pitch. And in order to win that pitch, you have to be present for that pitch. And as my mentor, Dr. Ken Revisa, would say, you have to be in control yourself before you can control your performance. So you're in Cincinnati. If you have a chance to watch the Cincinnati Reds, uh, there's a player, Jake Fraley, who's who's you know one of their outfielders. And there's a great clip uh, of him recently that came out where they're talking about his three keys to keep it simple and a strategy that he used. It's a strategy I picked up from, from Sean Casey. So if I can share my screen, I'd like to play that clip here so people can see that, if you can give me permission. As Jake Fraley approaches the plane, he's been open about the mental process that he uses in these spots. What has he told you, Jim Day? Well, he has a mental performance coach, Brian Kane, and actually shares the mental coach with Sean Casey. Now, Sean Casey talked on MLB Network about carrying a card that says this in his back pocket when he's a player. See the ball, be easy, hammer it. Fraley loved that because he needs mental resets throughout the game. So he thought to himself, okay, I'm going to put my own sayings on. So now if you watch, right, so he's got this card that he puts in his pocket that, or what he calls are three keys to keep it simple. See the ball, be easy, hammer it. Because if you want to bring calm to chaos, you have to know how to bring calm. One is having your three keys to keep it simple, that this is what I do when I'm performing my best. And the next, if you watch here, you actually see him taking a deep breath, looking at a focal point. On there. Like right well, then he decided... So you'll see him taking that breath every time he gets into the box. So when I go see these guys play, one of the things that I'm looking at, and I go videotape this, is I want to see their approach and how they walk to home plate. I want to see how they get in the box. And is their body language big? Are they taking a breath on a focal point? Are they slowing themselves down so they can slow the game down? You hear people say all the time, slow the game down. You don't. You slow yourself down especially now with a pitch clock, you're not slowing the game down. You're slowing yourself down. In order to do that, you have to have some tools that you practice. So if you want to take a breath in the box and have it make a difference, you have to spend time every day breathing. It's like Jonesy, if you're going to call on a guy to bunt in a key situation and he's not practiced ever, how confident is he going to be? 
not very, not very confident. confident, right? So one of the things that we have to do is we have to take this idea of mental performance training and we have to bring it into something that our guys can do every day. So I'm going to put inside of the chat here uh, a link to a mental imagery audio that I have on YouTube, which is hitting imagery. So guys can, can listen to that for 10 minutes a day. It's the same audio that Jake Fraley would use, right? So by listening to that for 10 minutes a day, breathing, going back and replaying your best performances, looking forward, seeing yourself play the way you want to play in your next best performance. That's what's going to help you to be able to bring calm to chaos. It's not something that you say. It's something you have to do. You mentioned something that, that Jake did there where it was like he, he was stared at a focal point, like his bat for a second. Is Do you do you find that a lot of players, they'll still look at their bat as the focal point or will they look at something else in the stadium? They'll just pick something to focus on right before they step in the box? Mm, you know, with the, with the it depends on the level of the player. With the pitch clock now in professional baseball and high-level college baseball where they actually reinforce it, you know, it's something where they don't have a ton of time. So guys are either looking at their bat and taking a breath before they get in or they're getting in early and kind of like Ryan Howard, right? They got their bat out in front of them looking at the pitcher and they're sort of taking a breath looking sort of at their pitcher through their gun or through their bat like it's a gun sight. You know, you, the Evan Longoria E60 was great where he talked about looking at the left field foul pole and taking a deep breath to kind of get himself centered when he would have to release or get in the box. So uh, most of the time now, guys are looking at like their name on their bat if they're in the big leagues or they're looking at a spot on their bat or maybe they're looking at like the like the the corner of home plate that they touch. But it can really be anywhere as long as it's a focal point that you look at that says, okay, when I look at that spot and I take a deep breath, I'm in control of myself and that helps me to get present. That's what we're after. Do you find it helpful to when you're working with players to help them define success because so many players are so numbers driven? 100%. Yeah, you have if you don't have a definition of success for you, the scoreboard will dictate that for you. And unfortunately in baseball you don't control the outcome, right? As a hitter, you can do everything right, be on time, see the ball well, have a good pitch to hit, you know, swing swing and make hard contact on that pitch that you were looking for and hunting for and you're out. You can hit it hundred miles an hour at somebody you're out. So you go back to the dugout. And then when I see this all the time, guys start trying to, they have an O for three or an O for four and they get like an O for three or four days in a row. And they're actually hitting balls hard. They're working counts. They're working deep counts. They're seeing the ball. Well, they're on time. They just aren't getting the results. Then they go tinkering stuff. And then they start making a problem that doesn't exist. So Sean Casey, who we referenced earlier, who has a great clip on uh, the MLB network, which I'll share with you here as well in the chat. If you want to put these in the show notes, Jonesy, it's yeah. a video of him talking about his mental approach. And as I got deeper into a relationship with Case, one of the things that he would talk about is when he was struggling at the back end of his career, when he was more mature and had more experience. And here's a guy that used to read a page or more of the book, The Mental Game of Baseball, since he was in 10th grade all the way to the end of his career. He worked with Harvey Dorfman, who was a pioneer in mental performance. And one of the things that Case would say is he'd say, Kaner, I had to come up with a list of questions that I would ask myself when I wasn't playing well so I didn't go down the rabbit hole of trying to find something with my swing that wasn't there. So, you know, to our, to our point of what we've been talking about, was I on time? Did I see the ball? Was I in control of myself? Did I know what my plan was? What pitch I was looking for? Was I aggressive and pulling the trigger on that pitch? He's like, if I wasn't doing those things, it wasn't a mechanical problem. Mm. If I wasn't doing those things, it was a focus problem. And most of the time I see players that the root of their struggles isn't the swing. It's that they're in the box 
thinking about their swing instead of being in the box, thinking about doing damage, right? And at Ole Miss, who won college baseball's national championship in 2022, they have a sign in their batting cage. And we talked about this when we started working there in like 09, that they would put a sign in their batting cage that said, trust it here or train it here, trust it there. And it was two arrows, right? Like train it in the cage to trust it when you're out on the field. And when you're, if you want to get into a box and you want to have a competitive mindset, three keys to keep it simple, you have to train a competitive mindset. And too many times I see hitters or, or, or pitchers, especially that they're working and they're working on their swing and everything is mechanical, mechanical. And the end of the day, I always recommend the players and coaches at the end of the day, the last thing you do should not be mechanical. It should be some sort of competitive where now you're trying to take your swing or with the pitches that you're throwing and get into some type of execution competitive environment. Because what happens for golfers, hitters, pitchers, is they work all this time on their swing or on their mechanic and they go into competition. And you can't be there thinking about that. You have to be there thinking about the baseball, but they never train just thinking about the baseball. So our competitiveness or our training, I should say, should be part mechanical, but also part competitive. So Jake, I, I saw Jake had on his no card that on the video or audio that you shared, see the ball, be easy, hammer it. Would you recommend for players like take some time and just think of two to three things that that you can focus on to help you like refocus, maybe even during the game, kind of similar to what Jake Jake does with that card. Exactly. Yeah. Come up with what your two to three things are when you're going really good. What are you doing? And then write those down and make sure you remind yourself of those. So what, it, what he'll do, right. Is he'll keep the card in his helmet. And when you go to put the helmet on, he looks at the card, puts it in his back pocket. That's like, the, that's almost like I'm punching the clock. It's time to go to work. I put the helmet on. When I come out of the dugout, I say that on my first three steps out of the dugout. I say it on my first three steps walking to home plate. You'll see hitters I work with when they get to home plate, they clean out the batter's box to feel the dirt under their feet, to hear the dirt under their feet. Because if you can feel the dirt and hear the dirt under your feet, you're in the present moment. And that's the key to hitting. One of the many keys, right? But that's the foundation. If you're not present, it doesn't matter how good your swing is. You probably ain't going to be very good at hitting. So you have to be able to get present and in control yourself. So those are all strategies and tools that we train guys to use. I love that. I love I love playing with the dirt when you get in the batter's box. We had uh, Andy McKay on, on the podcast a little while back, who's with the Mariners, their assistant general manager. One of the things that he talked about was helping players like prepare for failure, especially in baseball and especially hitting where it happens so regularly. So when it does happen, uh, there's a, a plan in place and you're not, hitting the panic button um curious do you do you believe in in helping players plan for failure too you have to contingency plan and this is not disneyland this is baseball and failure is a part of the game right it's going to hit you and when it does let's be prepared for it it's like the garbage is going to hit the fan when it does let's be prepared for it this mentality of like hey everything's going to be positive that's not reality man that's disneyland so like when with baseball, you have to practice the adversity. So one of the things that we would do, I remember I was with TCU baseball, 2010, we're getting ready to face, I think it was 10. We're facing Steven Strasburg when he's pitching for San Diego State at the time, the best college pitcher in the country. And arguably at that time, when I saw him throw, he was 95, 97. I don't think he threw a pitch under 90, uh, punched out like 16. You know, back then that was really hard. Now you got Chase Burns at Tennessee running up there at 103 consistently. It's a little bit different time. But back then, he arguably was the best guy on the planet. And Thursday night, the last practice we had before we faced him on Friday, Coach Jim Schlossnagel at TCU, now at Texas A&M, 
we had our guys practice striking out. Literally, they came to home plate. We had the managers had to pretend they were umpires and like give the best strike three call that they could give. And the players would walk back to the dugout. They'd walk back with their hand on their barrel, big body language, just like they would walk up there. They'd look out to the mound to try to make on contact, like in a way of, of big body language and not intimidation, right? Because we don't get into like, well, I'm not trying to intimidate anybody else because everyone else is irrelevant to me and what I'm trying to do in that moment as a competitor. But I'm not giving and give that guy an inch by walking down with my head down. So saying hand on the barrel, look out at the mound is more about you don't look down because when you look down, you show weakness. And when you show weakness, you're putting air in the tire of the guy on the mound and building him up versus you look out at him and let him know, we'll see you in a little bit when I come back up here and it's you versus me again. So we practiced all that. They beat us two to one that night. We come back and roll those guys on Saturday and Sunday where, where, you know, we'll, we'll give up, we'll give up a two to one loss to Strasburg on Friday. What we don't want to do is let the 17 punch outs and then guys come back on Saturday and Sunday and they get away from their approach. They get away from their mental game and they start beating themselves because they're still holding on to what happened the night before. Cause we hadn't prepared for it. And I go back even further with TCU to 2006, my first, uh, one of the first college baseball teams I ever worked with. And the hitting coach at the time was a guy named Todd Whitting. Todd's now at the University of Houston as their head coach. And I remember Todd said to me going into that 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 weekend against Air Force, he's like, Kanner, hey, uh, head coach brought you in. You can work with the pitchers. Just, you know, stay away from my hitters. And I'm a young mental performance coach. And I'm like, hey, man, I don't want to screw up. I don't want to screw up anybody, let alone your hitters, you know? Well, fast forward four years, TCU goes to Omaha in 10. Todd takes over the University of Houston program. He says to me, he's like, Kanner, I want you to come down and speak to our guys at Houston first. Like, I want you to talk to them before I do. That's how important the mental game is. And I said, Todd, we'll just come full circle here, man. Tell me, ten, four years ago in 06, you tell me to stay away from your guys like, like I had the thing, man. And he goes, here's what I've learned. There's three aspects of hitting you have to develop. Mechanics, plan and approach, mental game. And he goes, early in my career, I would go mechanics first, plan and approach second, and never got to the mental game because I didn't know what to do and I never had enough time. He goes, what I've realized now is that you got to focus on mental game. Is he confident? Is he present? Then plan an approach. What's the pitch he's looking for? Is he trying to cover 17 inches with no strikes? Like, why would you do that? Like, what's your plan, right? And simple plan is there's seven baseballs put together over the plate and I'm going to look three, four, five ball with zero strikes. I'm going to look three to seven or one to five with one strike. And I'm going to cover all seven with with two strikes, like simple plan. Am I looking for a certain pitch or am I looking for any pitch that's in that zone? Like, what am I trying to do there, right? And then the swing mechanics, obviously you can go, this is your wheelhouse here, Jonesy. You can go all day into swing mechanics right now with TrackMan and hit tracks and all the different tools, Rapsodo or not Rapsodo, but the blast, all the different tools that you have. We have more analytics to quantify hitting than we've ever had, which is great. It should make teachers better. It should make coaches better. It should make players speed up their learning curve because no longer are you going to say, hey, do you feel that? It's going to go, hey, here's the number. Now associate the number with the feel and the learning should happen more quickly, right? Because I now I'm no longer going off of what I feel with no awareness of numbers, but I have the numbers with what I feel and trying to put those things together. And there's a time and a place to do that, like deep work on your swing, but that ain't going to help you hit when you get into the box, like today, you know, for guys that are in the training phase, that's really good. Getting in the box today, you've got to be able to separate those two things, right? The, the mental game of competing and the swing of what it looks like and what it feels like, because we don't want to be 
professional swingers. We want to be professional hitters, right? And one of the things we do with guys I work with is if they'll have two different types of batting gloves, right? So they may have white batting gloves. They use those doing swing mechanical work because they're like working to be the surgeon, right? Or then when they go in a game, they put on black gloves because the black gloves are like the killer that's getting in the box and ready to go light somebody up, right? So the different batting gloves become a different mindset that allow me to separate when I'm going internal with my body and internal with my mind and feeling what's going on and focused on what's happening with my hands and my elbows and my hips, which you have to do. Then also the different colored batting gloves help me flip the switch physically from internal focus to external on the baseball and external competitive about trying to light somebody up. Man, this is why I wanted to have you on, Brian. That was that was incredible. That was fire. I love the batting gloves. I'm definitely going to steal that and uh, share that with some of the players that I work with. That was so good. I know that you said you mentioned earlier that you worked, you know, your kind of mentor was Ken Revisa, and I'm sure you learned a lot of things from him too. But I mean, over the years, like what's been different ways that you've continued to, to, I want to say reinvent yourself, but to just to continue to learn and develop, is it just trial and error? Like, is there certain things you're constantly researching and learning? Like, how are you able to constantly continue to get better and better? Um, obsession. I mean, I'm obsessed with the mental game. That's the first thing. I think if you're going to be good at something, um, it, you have to be obsessed with it. You know, and it has to drive. It's like the first thing I think about when I wake up and the last thing I think about before I go to bed. So that's, that's, that's one. Um, two is, you know, as I've, as I've looked back and reflected on 20 years of doing the mental game since I coached in the Cape Cod League in 01 and was, I went to Cal State Fullerton to do a master's degree in sports psychology under Ken Revisa and was a grad assistant coach with Fullerton, wanting to be a pitching coach for the 2001 fall, two, three spring, where in 03, we were number one team in the country, wire to wire. Justin Turner on that team, still in the big leagues. Ricky Romero, who started, you know, opening day for Toronto, was on that team. A lot of guys on that team. And, I think the thing that is, is I've always been a learner and trying to identify what do the best guys in the world do? And when I was just in baseball all the time, I feel like I actually grew faster and grew more and got new ideas as I got out of baseball. Like my first five years, I worked pretty much in baseball. And then in 2006, I started working with a UFC world champion, a guy by the name of George St. Pierre. I actually started with him right after he lost his, his fight to Matt Sarah. And next thing you know, now fast forward to today, and I've had the privilege of working with eight UFC world champions, a Heisman Trophy winner, gold medalists in in figure skating, uh, ton, you know, four Cyan Award winners, um, you know, so a, a wide variety of athletes. And here's what I've found with Navy SEAL. What I've found is there's 10 skills that make mental toughness. And based off of the sport, the skill is applied differently based off of, of you know, softball and baseball, the skills are going to be applied a little bit differently than gymnastics and figure skating and let's say MMA fighting, but the skills are the same. And what we've identified, just like you would as a, as a, as a position coach or a hitting coach, is that you do drills as a hitter to develop the skills you need to create the skill set. Well, hitting is a skill set, right? And from mental performance, it's the same thing. Mental toughness is the skill set. There's 10 skills that you need to create that skill set. And I give you the drills. For example, imagery is a drill. Batting gloves that you would switch would be a drill. The index card that we showed with Jake Fraley would be a drill. The breath of him getting the box, those are drills to develop this 10 skills. So if I can give you the 10 skills, this will explain <laughs> what, we're, what we're discussing. So the 10 skills are I have an elite mindset, motivation and commitment, focus and awareness, self-control and discipline. I put the process over the outcome. 
uh, meditation and mental imagery, routines and habits of excellence, time management and organization, leadership and the right culture. So what I do to continue to get better is having identified those 10 skills as what elite performers in any arena do is I tried to continue to study those 10 skills and whether I try to read a book a week and I'm, I, I will study, you know, different, different coaches and different neuroscientists, whether it's Huberman or it's uh, Carol Dweck with her book mindset, whatever it is, and try to take what are the best academics, the best researchers talking about in theory, what shows up in practice every day? And then what shows up under the lights in the competitive arena? Because there's a lot of things that you can say work inside of a lab or inside of a cage or inside of an academic ivory tower that just don't meet the reality test when you're dealing with high level athletes and competitors. So to summarize, we do drills to develop skills, to create a skill set, And there's 10 skills we want to develop. And I've found that outside of every sport, whatever it is, those skills are universal. And the best part about them, Jonesy, is, as you know, and I know, at some point, our athletic career comes to an end, right? Mm -hmm. At some point, we're no longer athletes. And guess what? Unless you become a hitting coach, knowing how to hit doesn't help you. Like all the money I spent on lessons for pitching and quarterback play and hitting, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. So it was fun at the time when I was a teenager, but now all the time I invested in the mental performance, time management, mindset, guess what? All of those things become even more important now that I have children. They become even more important now that I'm an entrepreneur. They become even more important now that I'm trusted to coach the mental performance of some of the best players in the world. So the mental performance skills that you invest in as a player and as a parent that you pay for to invest in for a player, it's less than buying a baseball bat. And guess what? It's actually what they take with them for the rest of their life. So if you go to briancane.com slash baseball, I have a free baseball masterclass. It's like me teaching the mental game like this for, for 50 minutes. I'm able to share screen and show different routines of players and things that they do. So that would be a great place, I think, for people to go to, to get more would be to my masterclass at briancane.com slash baseball. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely put that, uh, put that, you know, link to in the show notes along with the, cool. a couple other videos, but going back to one of the things you talked about, there was time management. Yeah. Uh, and I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with uh, adults as well as college players, professional players, things like that. What's, how do you go about helping them with time management? Because there's, there's a lot of research out there and I've, I've read some of it where, you know, you don't want it to be like a, a list of things to do. It's more like time blocking and how that's more, uh, beneficial for, for people. So how do you go about helping players time management? Yeah. I mean, this is straight pillar eight time management and organization. And I talk about planning tomorrow, tonight. And if you, if you could look at Jake Fraley's calendar, which he shares with me as his mental performance coach, you can see that tonight he has a PM routine. And when he's in that PM routine, before he goes to bed, he actually maps out what tomorrow looks like. And he time blocks his days. Well, how time blocking becomes beneficial is as a baseball player, you're used to going one pitch at a time. Well, in life, you just go one block at a time. I'm in my AM routine and what I'm doing there. I'm driving to the field. I'm at the field pregame. I'm in game. I'm post game. I'm at dinner with my wife and family or friends afterwards. I'm PM routine. I'm sleep block. And that's kind of how we go is you create blocks to go one pitch at a time throughout your day. Well, what are those time blocks that you should have? Well, the time blocks you should have starts with a PM routine because how you shut it down and go to sleep at night and recover at night dictates how, you, how much energy you're going to have the next day. So PM routine, sleep block, AM routine. And then it depends on who's listening to this, what the next blocks are, but they probably have like a pregame block, in-game, post-game, 
They have nutrition blocks. They have transportation blocks. They have all of these, you know, they have like, as, as a dad, I have family time, right? Some people may have faith time. They may have free time for all the high school players that might be listening to this. You may have your friend's time, right? Where you're spending three hours playing Fortnite or whatever it is that they do these days, right? So having that time that you schedule versus I'm going to do what I feel like doing. Because you know what that's a recipe for? Losing. What's yeah. that a recipe for? Falling short of my potential. And if you're a high achiever and there's a lot of things you need to do to be a high achiever, show me your calendar. Don't tell me how good you're going to be. Show me your process. And if you show me your calendar, I can pretty much tell you what you're going to accomplish over the course of your career. Because elite has a price. So does easy. The price of easy, Jodas, comes with a lot of regret later. What's your take on environment? Um, I've been, yeah, I've listened to, uh, you know, different people. I mean, someone like this is not even in the, in the sports world, but someone like Tony Robbins talks yeah. about how, you know, your environment, you're not really like, cause he was brought up in a rough environment. So he's not really one to, to say that your environment should dictate how successful you are. I think an environment definitely plays a part in it personally, but what's your take on an environment and the people that the five closest friends you have? Yeah. Right. Um, I think it depends on the individual. It depends on the context, right? Like if you want to be a good hitter and you're trying to go do it on your own, or you're trying to go do it with your dad, who's going to flip you balls. That's a heck of a lot different environment to come into work out in the cage. You got at your place. So coaching is the number one difference maker in athletic success. And just because you have a coach, is that coach good? Is that coach world-class? Is that coach proven to get results? right? Because the wrong coach is going to keep you from your goals. The right coach is going to accelerate you towards your goals. And I can only sit here today, Jonesy, as a mental performance coach to major league baseball players and some of the top universities in the country, because I had great coaching in Ken Revisa. Before that, completely different story. That's why I got into the mental game because I went looking for, how come I was the player who everyone said like, dude, you got to learn how to relax, but no one would tell me how that's bad coaching. So environment, now, as an adult, I would say, is it nature? Is it nurture? It's neither. It's decision. But you can't put that on a 12-year-old because a 12-year-old can't get themselves where they need to go and all that. So I think the younger you are, the more important your environment. The older you get when you become an adult and become more self-sufficient, it's about decision, man. And the decisions you make are going to determine your destiny. And there's a lot of people who can, who, who are wildly successful CEOs and athletes that came from nothing. And there's a lot of people who came from the perfect background, both parents in the Ivy league that are drug, drug addicts, and they can't, they can't get out of their own way. So, you know, does nature and nurture play a role? Sure. But there comes a point where you have to take complete ownership and complete responsibility. And you say, you know what? It's no longer nature or nurture for me. It's decision. When does that day come? It's different for everybody. That's good stuff right there. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely resonate with what you're talking about with the nature versus nurture. Uh, what, what's a typical? I know your schedule is crazy and you're traveling all over the place, but I assume during baseball season you're traveling to go watch, you know, MLB players and games and things like that. But what would be a typical day for you during the season? Typical day for me, I'll give you, I'll give you the big blocks. Okay. Right. So the, the big, the big block is going to be up at 5. AM workout block five to seven family block, seven to nine admin, deep work, like creating podcasts, writing articles, uh, probably nine to 11. 
coaching from 11 to 6, 30-minute Zoom calls, one after the other, knock, line them up, knock them out. Some of those that are going to be an hour. Um, if I have an opening in there, I might we might do a podcast like we are here. And then from 6 to probably 6.30 is like what I call clear to neutral, go back, sure, go back through, make sure because I get moving really fast that everything is lined up to win for tomorrow. My desk always looks the same. My computer is shut down. I've got everything kind of set up for tomorrow. 6.30, I walk out of here. Ideally, I go get some quality time with my wife and daughter, 6.30 to 7, 7.30. I help with bath time. She goes to bed, eh, 7.38, somewhere in that window. It gets a little loose, right? And then I'm trying to go to bed like, 8.30 to 9, somewhere in that window, wake up and rinse and repeat seven days a week. Seven so days a week. Of, yeah, seven days a week. That's kind of what it looks like. So so, so, so Monday through Thursday, that's 100% how it's structured. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's when I would go see a player somewhere. That's when during the college baseball season, I'm going to do a team consulting. Um, if I'm not going to see a player or doing a team consulting or have a player coming to see me, then uh, that's when I would like go play golf. That's when I would take a family to Disney. That's when I might sit down and record a video program, something like that. So that's, that's the ideal. Um, again, it gets, it, you know, <laughs> that's the ideal. That's also the easiest. It doesn't get easier than that. It only mm -hmm. gets more chaotic, right? Like for example, this week, um, you know, started this morning. I was in the office recording podcast at 5 a.m. I'll go to dinner tonight with Sean Casey and finish at probably 10 p.m. Tomorrow I start with my first call at uh, 8 a.m. Finished with my last call uh, at 8 p.m. Wednesday, first call, 8 a.m. Last call is going to be watching, uh, probably going to see man, that 6 o'clock. Thursday, Oregon versus Stanford. I work with Oregon. They're out here. The Red Sox are in town. They have an off day in Arizona. I've got players on Arizona and the Red Sox. Arizona's coming back home. Red Sox are coming in. So I'll meet with the Red Sox guys, the Diamondbacks guys, go watch Oregon versus Arizona, fly on Friday to Chicago to go see guys and work with on the Reds and the Cubs and the guy in the Blackhawks, come back on Saturday, go back to see the, the Red Sox and the Diamondbacks, meet with those guys post game to break down their routines. Sunday, tie up any loose ends, and then probably get some family time the rest of the day, but that's, that's every week. And it ain't, and, it, and, the, and it's might sound chaotic, but it's, it's not for me and because yeah. it's not work. It's what I want to do, you know? And if that's called about the four stages of, of like commitment, right. And stage one is, Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do a job. Stage two, I'm going to do work. Stage three, I got a career stage four. I'm on a mission and I'm on a mission, man, to bring what Ken Revisa taught me into, into people into players. It doesn't have to be major league players. Bring it to anybody who wants to damn get better. And if they do and they execute that, I feel like I'm living in alignment with the best version of me and what my calling is. So that's when I say obsession or finding your mission or finding the thing that you would do if you had three days left to live, find it and go all in on that thing. Mm. So when you're coaching all these players, it's it's one-on-one. -on -one. Well, when I go to do the college teams, it's it's usually group, right? So when I go to yeah. Texas A&M, which I'll go to four times a year, I'll go in there and, you know, again, I don't want to keep spitting agendas at you, but I'll go in there and there's staff development, there's full team work, there's at practice observation and work. Then I meet with every player individually, which when you got 45 guys, that that gets intense, right? So you're meeting for, for 15 to 30 minutes with 45 guys there for three days. You're not sleeping a ton. You're not really doing anything else and sitting there doing this. And then I would fly home. And then as the season goes on, they've got access to me on the phone, access over zoom. So we would do like 30 minutes a week of a team zoom after I would leave. And then I'm talking to players routinely throughout the week. 
uh, some of that's one-on-one. So it's a little bit of all of it at the major league level. It's more, it's more one-on-one. Um, I try to create, if I have multiple players on the same team, um, I try to, when I go meet with all of them, cause I feel like there's a lot of value in group learning, meet with them at the same time. Cause they're working, they're in the same system. They're in the 10 pillar system. So for example, when I go see Cincinnati on, um, Friday, right. The game, they're playing in Chicago games at one ten. Game will go over about 4.10. They'll do their post-game work. I'll get back to the hotel, uh, stand in Chicago at like 6. And I'll meet meet with one guy 6 to 7, 7.30, try to get some time together, and then meet with the next guy after that. Uh, so that's kind of what that looks like. Last thing, I, I last question I, I have for you. This has been fantastic, by the way. Really good stuff. Is I I read online. You know, you're you're a beast in the in the weight room and and running. I've seen you've done a hundred hundred miles, um, yeah. Ironman. Do you think that by you pushing yourself to the limit and and doing the the hundred mile races, which and I saw that I the first person I thought of was David Goggins. Sure. And do you think that that has helped you become a a better coach or is it just something you just enjoy doing pushing yourself like do you when you work with maybe people in the business side who aren't necessarily athletes and always working out do you find that when they do start to push themselves and in the weight room and things like that there's usually a carryover into uh, real life yeah i'm about as convinced of that as i am that you need oxygen to survive 100 percent i was a 240 pound 44 inch waist fat high school athletic director who who didn't work out didn't take care of himself didn't invest in the four fundamentals of optimal living how you eat how you move your mindset and how you sleep i was just grinding and i was giving the world my b game because i wasn't showing up the best version of me and what i've realized is no one wants your damn b game and you can fool yourself into thinking, oh, I'm grinding, I'm getting it started, I'm in the early days. No, you're just not organized and disciplined enough to take care of yourself while you're doing what it is you're trying to do on the business side. If you got time to watch TV or time to go drink, guess what? You're giving your B game. Like, what are you doing, man? Lock it down to be the best version of you. So as I as I made a shift in 2016, it's when I started to grow the beard. If you look back, any pictures of me, no beard, pre-216, is I signed up. And I was that guy. I was kind of, I was still that guy. And there's times now when I have to fight not going back to be that guy. Because that guy's easy. That guy's complacent, man. That guy's comfortable. And we're all trying to get to those levels. But you have to realize that that's a trap, man. So 2016, I'm on a cruise, honeymoon, drinking more than I should, eating more than I should, gambling on the cruise boat more than I should. And I was like, back in the hotel room is the, on our ship as the cruise is getting done. And I'm like, what am I doing? I go, I'm too comfortable. And in 2006, I saw a guy show a video about Dick and Ricky Hoyt, a father and son triathlon team. I'm at a leadership conference in Vermont. The dad puts his son in a boat, pulls him in the water, puts him on the front of the bike, rides the bike with the son sitting on the front of the bike, puts him in a wheelchair, pushes him for 26.2 miles. And I said, Jonesy, I said, someday I'm going to do that. Well, someday is not on the calendar, man. Sunday, someday doesn't exist. So I'm sitting there in this hotel, in this room on a cruise ship. And I said, you know what? To my wife, I said, hey, Bear, I'm going to sign up for Ironman Arizona. She's like, do you own a bike? No. Do you know how to swim? No. I, I own a bike and I wasn't going to drown, but I, I was doggy paddling. Like I didn't even realize you're supposed to exhale into the damn water. I had no idea. So I'm 100 days out from Ironman Arizona 2016. I come home. 
I go for a run. I can't go three miles. It's Texas. It's also hundred degrees. That's a factor. Right. And I'm sitting there, I walk back home and I'm like in tears going, what the hell did I just do to myself? What did I just sign up for? And then I said, you know what? The ultimate mental performance experience, eliminate the bullshit, excuse my language and lock in on the process. So first thing I did, I hired a coach. That coach, Tom Parker, man, God bless him. Tom Parker helped me go get a bike and one that fit the right way so I wasn't falling asleep the whole time, right? And your legs falling asleep and things that can happen on a bike. I went and learned how to swim. He taught me how to breathe. I got a nutrition coach who taught me about nutrition. I didn't touch a drop of alcohol. I hired an administrative assistant. Thank you, Jacob Armstrong, who came and helped remove things from my plate that were not essential so that I could focus on training, focus on coaching, and focus on, on, on being a husband. And... A hundred days later, I jump in the water in Tempe Town Lake in Arizona, and I call it the myth of belief. People say, oh, you got to believe you can do it to achieve it. Jonesy, I jumped in that water going, I might die today. I jumped in that water going, I've never, never in a training session been able to like piece together a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike and a 26.2 mile run. I go, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, but I tell you what, I'm going to die trying. They're going to have to pull me off the damn course because the one thing I will not do is I won't quit. And, and, and I will tell you that people think not quitting is a good strength. I'm telling you that not quitting gets you in trouble more than it does probably help you. You have to be a serial quitter. If you're doing things that don't serve you, quit them. If you're doing things that serve you, keep going. But the things that you don't do, you have to quit. Like there's two ways to get ahead. Do more of what's good, but do less of what's bad. And if you're continuing to do things that are bad, but you try to do more good, all you're doing is playing to a tie. And you never evolve. So that that jumping in the water that day, man, and then finishing that race just under 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 twelve hours and crossing the finish line and kind of being like, wow, that was easier than I thought it would be. Um, and seeing my wife and her getting emotional and walking right over to the damn tent and signing her up to do it the next year, which was awesome. Right. So I'm covered in salt. We walk over to the smile train tent and I sign her up for next year. Um, because she's like, Oh, that was awesome. I want to do it. Oh, yeah, let's go. Well, and I literally went over and dropped my credit card and said, sign her up, please. And they did. It was awesome. And then for the next, you know, that was 2016. So she did it 2017 and our vacations became triathlon. We'd go to Barcelona. We'd go to New Zealand. We'd go to Santa Rosa. We would do these 70.3s together and then do a little vacation. And she, we had our first child. And uh, how about this? We had our first child in, in uh, March of last year and whatever, three months later, she beats me by an hour and a half and a half Ironman. I mean, she's a savage, right? So he's a beast. She's a beast, bro. She's finished fourth at Ironman Arizona in her age group. Like she's a beast. So um, I think, you know, to your question, and I apologize for being long-winded here is I think you have leaders live it. You have to live it. And what you find is that when you commit to something that scares you and you commit to something that's big and something that you have to truly be the best version of you to go do, it only makes you better for everybody else. Mm. And you have the nice part about mental performance is when I, whether it's doing a 60 mile, 60 mile hike over 40 hours up and down this Canyon, whether it's an Ironman, a hundred mile run, writing a book, whatever it is, you have to use all of the mental performance. I have to, I get to use all of the mental performance training that I give to athletes. I get to use it for myself. And I think when you go back to your question here, you fire me up to get me to go back to the question of how do I keep learning? I keep trying shit, man. You can't be afraid to fail. Like you have to try things on yourself. You are the best test subject you're ever going to have. 
you know, and being able to take the mental performance strategies, the three keys, the visualization, the time management and organization, the self-talk, what you're going to say to yourself, running to an own self-talk audio that you make for yourself. You have to try those things. And then you have to get into enough sports where you realize, okay, this is something that might work in endurance sport like running, but this wouldn't work in something that's more of a perfection sport like gymnastics, or it wouldn't work inside of the octagon and the UFC because it's so fast, or this works in a sport like baseball or golf or football where there's a play or there's a pitch and then there's a stop, or it's not going to work in a sport like soccer where it doesn't stop, right? So every sport has its own unique mental performance challenges. And I feel like when it comes to baseball, I've got some of the best experience and training in the world to be able to help people. And I appreciate you having me on today. And if people are looking for more, briankane.com slash baseball. I also offer coaching to players, not just major leaguers. So if anybody's interested, they can they can learn more at briankane.com. And then also I have a daily podcast that I'll post for you here, Jonesy, that you mentioned earlier about uh, um, the Rockefeller story. It's called Mental Performance Daily, two to three minutes a day, breakfast for your mind. Love it. And that and that's why I like the podcast so much. It's just two to three minutes, like boom, I get the hit and then I'm ready to roll. I'm wearing something and ready to go next thing. Brian, you're the best man. Appreciate you coming on. It's no surprise why you've had the success that you've had. Uh this I know this is the first time we've ever talked today, but man, you're you're a beast. I know you said earlier your wife beat you that one time, but you're a beast too, man. So I appreciate it, brother. Well, thanks for having me. You, get, you threw me for a loop when you were like, when you mentioned weight room and I started laughing because last time I went and did 20 pound squats, I almost couldn't get off the floor. I had to call for assistance because <laughs> I threw my back out. But it's funny because I, uh, you know, as, um, as, yeah, the ultra endurance game, it's like you train, right? The way you train, like if you're a rotational athlete, you always train straight or as a pitcher in college, you know, I, I got out of high school throwing 88 and I got out of college throwing 82. Why? I trained wrong. Mm -hmm. I trained cardio. I trained aerobic instead of anaerobic explosive. So you can have a great work ethic and be obsessed, but if you get the wrong coaching, oof, you're in trouble. Done. So I appreciate you and what you're doing for 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 the people around Cincinnati that come to you for hitting lessons and you know the tra the training that you're doing. I know the guys that we've kind of collaborated on and some of the guys we've worked to sing your praises. So man, I appreciate the great work that you're doing. Absolutely. For the title, killing the game, dead on arrival. No mercy for rivals, this is for glory, this is our story.